0: To, um, to do in one Sunday. and I want to begin to talk this morning to you about spiritual authority, spiritual authority. And I want to start in the book of Matthew, please, chapter number eight and verse number five. Matthew chapter eight and verse five we'll read down through verse 10. And when Jesus was entered into Capernaum, there came unto him a centurion, And that's a Roman army officer in charge of, in command of a hundred men. There came unto him a centurion beseeching him and saying, Lord, my servant lieth at home, sick of the palsy, grievously tormented. And Jesus saith unto him, I will come and heal him. The centurion answered and said, Lord... I am not worthy that thou shouldest come under my roof, but speak the word only, and my servant shall be healed. For I am a man under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to this man, Go, and he goeth, and to another, Come, and he cometh. And to my servant, Do this, and he doeth it. When Jesus heard it, he marveled. Only one of two times in Scripture ever recorded that Jesus marveled. When Jesus heard it, he marveled and said to them that followed, Verily I say unto you, I have not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. Our Father, this morning as we come to the Word, we come hungry for revelation and truth, for power, demonstration, your presence. We thank you, Lord, this morning for speaking to us by your Word. I thank you for the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of you, that the eyes of our understanding would be enlightened. Help us today, Lord, to see those truths that we need to see. And Lord, may nobody leave this building the same way they came into it. May there be grace deposits and Holy Ghost impartations into every life here today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen amen, amen. This account gives us a really good and brief picture of authority that is understood and authority that is exercised. These two things, understanding authority and then exercising authority, are essential to great faith. And if you know anything about the Word, particularly the New Testament, then you understand that faith becomes, uh, it is an essential part of the Christian life. You can't please God without it. You're not going to receive from God in any substantial way without it. You are not going to have a prayer life that's productive and effective and fruitful without it. There's just so many, many things that Bible faith is involved with. And of course, we see here that authority, understanding it and uh, properly functioning in it, becomes essential to great faith. Authority we could define, and this is very simple, but I think it's uh, effective for us. And we're looking at this from a biblical point of view, of course. Authority is the right to act. And we contrast that, or you might say just the other side of the coin of that, is uh, what we refer to many times as we read the Bible. We see the word power used. Authority is the right to act. Power is the ability to act. This is really important that we understand this right in the beginning. Authority is the right to act. It is a legal reality. Power is the ability to act. It's an experiential reality. In the Bible, uh, in, in the New Testament, the Greek word exousia or exousia, however you pronounce it, I'm not exactly sure, but that is the word that we have translated as authority. And sometimes in the King James, unfortunately, instead of translating it authority, it's translated power. As in Matthew 28, for instance, when Jesus said, all power is given unto me in the King James. Well, that word is exousia. It's authority. All authority is given unto me. Now, the word power, there are several words translated power, translated in the English word power in the New Testament, but probably the most well-known and, and probably the, the most used and most common is the Greek word dunamis, D-U-N-A-M-I-S. And yes, uh, if that triggered something inside of you, you're correct. That's where we get our English word dynamite, dunamis. And so authority is the legal reality giving us the right to act. Power is the experience, experiential reality giving us the Ability to act and probably the most well-known most relatable uh, example of this for us would be a policeman directing traffic I saw a video not long ago of an Indian uh, uh, a guy in India a policeman directing traffic and I really thought about bringing that video and having them play it that guy is the coolest traffic cop I've ever seen in my life Anyway, maybe we'll look at it next week. Uh, it, it doesn't seem very spiritual, but it gives, you, it gives you a good example. But you know, if you left here and you go out of the parking lot, you turn right and you go west on US 460, a couple miles down the road, there's a stop sign, I mean a stoplight. Let's say, for instance, that uh, something had happened and the light's not working or something else has happened. And so there actually has to be a policeman there directing traffic. And so you drive up there just like many of you will do on your way home today after the service is over. And you come up to that intersection and all of a sudden you see this policeman there in full uniform and everything. And he's doing this. What are you going to do? Stop. Why? Does he have the power in that one hand to stop your car at 65 miles per hour? No, he can't do that. But he has the what? The authority to do so. Now, let's do another police example. Uh, let's say that a policeman is, uh, in, in, is uh, you know, chasing on foot after some bad guy, some really bad criminal. And so as he chasing him, he gets out his weapon. And uh, you know, he's ready to use it. And he shouts at the person. He says, Stop or I'll shoot! now guess what he has authority and power every New Testament Christian everyone regardless of how young they are in God or how old they are in the Lord doesn't make any difference whether you're an American or you're a Japanese person or you're you know uh, you know wherever you are in the world doesn't make any difference your age none of that matters Every believer in the world has both authority and through the Holy Spirit we have power. Amen. Now, that, that power and that authorization, the authorization, for instance, again, a police example, uh, can cause something to happen. You know, they might cause you to change your lane. They might cause you to take a detour or whatever. And also, they have the authority, as we pointed out already, to stop something. And I want you to keep that in mind because your spiritual authority can cause things to happen. And your spiritual authority, when it's properly exercised, can stop things from happening. As a matter of fact, I don't have to really have some special word from the Lord to know that in in the congregation of this size this morning, that there are things that need to be stopped in some lives. And in many, many cases... Those things are not going to stop until you stop them. You exercise authority. There are some other things probably that need to happen, but they'll never happen until you initiate some things with your spiritual authority and your power. Now let's go to uh, Matthew chapter 28. I referenced that a while ago, but let's look at it now. Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. This is what we call the Great Commission. Jesus is getting ready to ascend back to heaven. And in verse 18, he said, it says to us, And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power, That's, that word is authority. And probably if you've got a newer translation, it's, it's giving you the, the proper word there. All power, all authority is given unto me. So if all authority is given unto Jesus, how much is not given? No, no so all means all. All authority is given unto me in heaven and in earth. And then notice the next verse. This is so powerful. Go ye. Go ye. This is what we call the Great Commission. I think we could also refer to it as, as the account of the Great Commissioning. You know, if, we, if, a, if a person is a commissioned officer in the military, then that means at some point in time they received a commission and they, they have been commissioned to do their job. Well, you and I, in the army of the Lord, if you want to say it that way, have been commissioned by God to do a job. So this commissioning took place, the original commissioning of the body of Christ took place right here before Jesus left the earth. And notice how what is tied together. His authority... All authority in heaven and earth is tied together with the great commissioning of the church. You see, Jesus... Well, let me finish reading the verse. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you all way, even unto the end of the world or the end of the age. Amen. Jesus gave to us, to the church collectively... Worldwide, to the church collectively on an individual church basis like we're gathered here today in this particular congregation. And also to each of us individually, as individual members of the body of Christ. Jesus gave us the power of attorney. In this, this passage, he gave to the church the power of attorney to use his name. To exercise his authority. To act in his stead, each one of us are his representatives. Second Corinthians five twenty calls us his ambassadors. Ambassadors are authorized to represent the country from whence they have been sent. They don't have authority to speak their own message. They don't have authority to do their own deals. They don't have authority to go outside of the purview of what their particular job is, and that job is given to them officially by the United States government, for instance. When they go to the poorest nation upon the earth or the poorest countries in the world, they live the lifestyle of Americans even in the poorest countries. They live in a compound with diplomatic immunity. They are official representatives or representatives of this nation. And I like that word, represent re again present every day we live every day you live the rest of this day tomorrow the next day the next day the next day every day you wake up and you go out into this world you are re-presenting or you are presenting again Jesus to the world and I'm sure you've noticed we're in a crazy world getting crazier by the day we're in a world that really really needs Jesus a world that for the most part doesn't even know really who Jesus is and if even they've heard of him they really don't know what he teaches or what he stands for our job is greater in some ways today than ever before and so it is that we have been authorized By Jesus, we have been given the right to act, the legal right to act in his place as his uh, delegated agents in the earth. It's been delegated to us. Now let's go, you're already in Matthew 28. Let's back up to Matthew chapter 10. Matthew chapter 10. And we're going to look at Matthew 10 and verse number 40. Matthew chapter 10 and verse 40. And this is one of the important things about authority that we need to understand, especially our authority, because we, we exercise authority that has been delegated to us. Everybody say, delegated. You see, we are not hot shots. We haven't done our own thing. We haven't earned it. But as a part of the body of Christ, we have been authorized through delegated authority to act in the stead of Jesus. So we can't do our own thing. We simply do what He has uh, what He would tell us to do or what He leads us to do. And, of course, He tells us things in the Word, and then the Holy Spirit leads us. So this is not about us just doing anything we want to do. This is about us following the Lord and faithfully representing Him. So Jesus said in verse 40, He that receiveth you, He's talking to His disciples, He that receiveth you receiveth me. And he's not finished. He says, And he that receiveth me receiveth him that sent me. Notice three layers of authority. The Father, Jesus, the disciples, then to the people. That's delegated authority. That's how it works. So, I'm going to make a bold statement, and maybe this will... Go tilt for you. Don't throw it away. Don't throw me away, please. Meditate on it. Think about it. Go to the Word for yourself. But here's what you need to know if you faithfully represent Jesus, you faithfully represent God and His Word, then when people reject you, they're rejecting God. That's right. And that's why you don't ever get offended at people that don't want to listen, or they don't want to do what you say, or if they do reject you. They have not really rejected you. They've rejected the one that sent you. And when they reject the one that sent us, Jesus, the one that gave us this delegated authority, they are actually, ultimately, rejecting God. And so we need to know the kind of authority that we have. We need to understand when it is that the devil is trying to move in and how to deal with him. We need to understand the difference between things that are spiritual in their origin and things that are just natural in their origin. Sometimes two different situations look exactly alike, but they have very different causes. We see that in the Gospels as you follow Jesus through and with his ministry. There were things he dealt with a spirit over, and the exact same symptoms as somebody else. There's no mention of a spirit being dealt with. How would we know the difference unless we are walking in the spirit and the Lord lets us know through, through some kind of manifestation of the spirit that we would come to know? And so it's important for us to understand that we are spirit beings having natural experiences, we are spirit beings possessing a soul, living in a body. This natural world came from the spiritual dimension. It is, if you will, more real than the natural world we're living in. And so one of the most important things that a believer can learn about is his true spiritual identity and his true spiritual authority. This is really a big deal. Now, why is it important for us to exercise authority? Let's go to the book of Luke for a moment, chapter 4. And uh, I, I've been meditating on this for weeks and praying, and I knew that the Lord wanted me to go here. I knew that He wanted me to teach about this. And um, so there's, you know, in the process of this, those of you who minister and teach, you know that you gather information, and pretty soon, it doesn't take long, you've got way more information than you can share, in, at least in one message and, uh, and, of course, everybody's glad for that, that you find a, a way to, to, um, to determine what to say in a reasonable amount of time. but uh, So I, I know that I'm, I'm making this very, very simple, but I need it to be simple. That simple works best for me, and uh, it works. That's the key word. It does work. You don't have to be a theologian. You don't have to know a thousand passages you don't, know, you don't have to be able to speak Greek or Hebrew. You just need to figure out, you know, I mean, let's just be honest. Most people aren't doing the English Bible, much less the Greek Bible. <laughs> Amen. And so anyway, why, why would we need to exercise authority? In the book of Luke, chapter 4, verse 1, this is very familiar territory, but we, we need to look at it again. We need to look at it from this aspect. And the devil taking him up into an high mountain. Now this is very important uh, for us to see these verses particularly. All of them are important, but these ones I want you to make sure that uh, you stay awake on these. And the devil taking him up into an high mountain showed unto him all, there's that word again, not some, not just in a certain area, but all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said unto him, All this power, all this authority, that's the word, will I give thee and the glory of them, for that is delivered unto me. And to whomsoever I will, I give it. Now I'm going to read a few more verses, but I want to say that some people have uh, stated that they don't really consider this as uh, valid because they don't think that the devil had that kind of power. The problem with that statement is then that means that this was not a temptation. You know, if on the way home today, Nick turns to me in the car and says, would you like to get pregnant? I think you could probably somehow, someway get pregnant. I want you to know that's not a temptation <laughs> in more ways than one. I mean, I'm not, and I don't mean this, I'm not trying to be or anything. I'm just trying to make a point. That's a bad illustration, I guess. (laughs) Very bad. But the point is, it's no temptation because even if I wanted to have a baby, I can't. Isn't it amazing that so many people in our world need that revelation today? (laughs) Amen. That's crazy. It's absolutely crazy. You know, you may have wondered a few times, but I mean, I can't. I can't. You see, it's not a temptation if it's impossible to take place. You know, I'm not tempted to, you know, jump from the ground to the top of the building. I can't do that. It's impossible. It's a physical impossibility. And so if what Satan offered Jesus wasn't real then this isn't a temptation and then this scripture is false but if this is a temptation then what that does mean that at this particular time there was a great amount of power in this world that the devil was administrating a tremendous amount of authority that he was delegating to people on the earth. And all you have to do is think back and realize. People like Nebuchadnezzar. People like the Pharaoh in Egypt. People like the kings that, that came out against Israel as they came to the promised land. All those, those people. They, they were uh, not led by God. They were possessed by devils in some cases. How could you, how could you otherwise explain an Adolf Hitler. How would you explain a Joseph Stalin? You know, people don't sometimes think, I mean, think about it, but Stalin had more people killed than Hitler did. These people were at the beck and call of evil spirits. And the master of that realm himself was who was dealing with Jesus. The devil was pretty nervous about this Jesus. When Jesus went to the river and he came up out of that water. There had been evidently thousands of people baptized by John the Baptist up until this time. But when Jesus came out of that water, the devil's ears perked up. Because God Almighty spoke from heaven and said, This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. The devil had for millenniums been looking for what God himself spoke to Adam and Eve in Genesis chapter 3, all those many centuries before, when he said that the seed of the woman, he told the devil, actually, and I'm assuming Adam and Eve heard him too, that that he told the devil, the seed of the woman is going to crush your head. And so the devil had looked all those years. I'm sure he wondered, was Elijah the seed of the woman that would crush his head? He didn't know all the things how it was going to be done. As a matter of fact, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 that had the princes of this world known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. The devil thought, I'm getting rid of Jesus, when God all along knew this is the devil's death knell. This is what seals his total and absolute and complete defeat for all of time. Amen. Aren't you glad about that? You see, Jesus did all of that. You say, well, why in the world is the devil doing so much? Because there's not even hardly a sliver of people on the planet that even know what I just told you. And I don't mean that to say, like, I'm so smart and I figured all this out. I'm not the first person that's ever taught this truth. It was taught to me and to those who will receive it, those who will go to their Bible and they will prove it for themselves and begin to use it and walk in it, you will find that though the devil is here for a while, His days are numbered. And even though he's around the corner and even though he's listening in, he is a defeated foe. And he does not have to dominate your house. He does not have to dominate your family. He doesn't have to dominate your mind. He doesn't have to dominate your body. We are free. One of our confessions we made right before we started this teaching was, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. I'm not afraid of the devil. I hope you're not afraid. Uh, uh, God has not given us a spirit of fear but a power of love and of a sound mind and so when we teach about spiritual authority I'm not trying to make you devil conscious per se I'm trying to make you so conscious and aware of who you are in Christ and what you have in Christ and what you can do in Christ about your authorization that no matter what big, bad, ugly, hairy spirit comes your way you're not afraid you're not afraid So Satan said, all this power will I give thee and the glory of them, for that is delivered unto me. Notice that phrase, that is delivered unto me. When was this delivered to the devil? When Adam delivered it to him. Adam committed high treason. Adam with his eyes wide open, willfully, knowingly, realizing what he was doing, he gave his authority away. You see, what's interesting to note is, the place of authority that the devil operates in today is in many ways the same place that Adam operated in before the fall. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse number 4, the Bible says that Satan is the god, that's a little g. Or you may have a translation that renders that lord or perhaps ruler of this world. Satan is the Lord or ruler of this world as it is. Well, that was a job that Adam used to have. And when he committed high treason against God and died spiritually, lost his position, he gave it to the devil. Now, people ask legitimate questions that sometimes we don't have as complete answers for as we'd like. But uh, people do ask the legitimate question, how could that happen? Well, it happened because God means what he says. Now I'm going to explain that here. God means what he says. And so when he told Adam, take dominion. Remember that? You read Genesis? Take dominion over the whole earth? He meant it. And so when Adam took his place of dominion, it was his. Here we go again. (laughs) (laughs) Here, Honor, I want you to hold this. Just hold it there, okay? So I'm giving this to Honor, but I'm taking it. So is it hers? Not as long as I have it. It's only hers. This time we're going to do it different. Don't let go of it. So I'm going to, no, don't let go of it. Hold it, hold it, hold it, hold it fast. There you go. Has anybody ever fought with a lady over money in your life in this room? <laughs> there you go. Buy you some bubble gum. Your dad won't it for you. You buy <laughs> If something has been given away, it's not yours. That $20 is not mine now. I'm having giver's remorse. Yeah, I think i No, no. It's not mine anymore. When Adam gave away, it does pay to sit on the front row. For long, we're going to have this whole thing full. Uh, but, but when Adam gave his authority away, it was gone. It could... It, it, there, was, there was only one way that it could come back. There had to be... Another Adam. Adam means man. There had to be another man that was like the first Adam and that, see, there was no sin until that time. Adam was not immortal. If he was immortal, he would have never died. He was neither mortal nor immortal. He was a spirit being with no sin and he was in right relationship with God. There had to be another one of those and guess who that other one was? Jesus. And so what we lost in Adam was regained in Christ Jesus. But here's the catch. Only for those that are in Christ Jesus. So that's why we want to get everybody born again that we can because that's the way you get into good stuff. You know, if you ever had a really good granny or nana or whatever you call her, Uh, you know that uh, you want to stay on their good side. (laughs) uh, They'll do things for the grandkids that they wouldn't even have done for their own kids. (laughs) It's just amazing how nanas can kind of be moping around and, and then the grandkids call and they just perk up. And they're ready to go and spend money or do whatever. And you're just sitting there thinking, you know, this is, this is something. Anyway, you know what it's like to be favored. You know what it's like to be favored. And so in Christ, we're favored. When you speak, when you call, if you will, you pray, He listens. He listens. Your voice is your spiritual address in the realm of the Spirit. And when you speak, He knows it's you. you, you. I've never one time went into the presence of God and He says, Oh, I thought you were Doug. (laughs) No, that doesn't happen. He's, He's not confused. And so the devil got this authority... And so you can see down through time, and you just read world history, and you can see the changing of kingdoms and so forth, and and all of the wickedness that were, was involved, and all the rest. And so he comes to Jesus here at this point in time, and he says, "I'll give all this to you if you'll worship me." And that's when Jesus said, "Get thee behind me, Satan." You know, I, you know, you you got to say that with attitude. I'm thinking about, you know, everybody, everybody remember Sanford and Son? Yes. I remember Aunt Esther saying, get thee behind me, Satan. as you tell <laughs> that to Fred. Well, you gotta, you got to be just that way with the devil. You can't play around with him. He's out to kill you. He's not out just to give you a little bit of a problem. He's out to take you out. And so you've got to learn your place of authority. Well, in this passage, every time the devil came to Jesus with something, every time Jesus answered him with scripture. Amen. So here we come back to this whole authority issue. That is our authority is the word of God. I can come to the, you know, and talk to the devil in my name and to him it's a joke. He knows more about my weaknesses than probably I know about myself. Because he's observed me from my birth to the present moment and uh, all of that. But when I come in the name of Jesus, he doesn't have any defense for that. I mean, you can just imagine the devil saying, oh, why did he have to say that? <laughs> yeah, I was doing pretty good until he, he brought up Jesus. Because you've got to realize every time you use the name of Jesus, the devil has to remember this day that we're reading about here. And more than that, he has to remember defeat at the cross he has to remember that jesus was resurrected from the dead triumphing over death, hell, and the grave and ascended all the way through the the spiritual dominions where he is, where the devil is, ascending all the way through to the heaven of heavens where God is and is today seated at the right hand of the Father and every word he has spoken is now backed up by a living Savior. There is no way the devil can win this, no way, no how, and thank God we know that. We know it. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We're not just hoping it happens, we know it's real. And so we need to exercise authority because when Adam sold out, the devil took that authority and he's been operating in it and will do so until the lease is up, we might say. Now I'm going to ask you to turn to Matthew 8:29 because this is one of those verses that. We, uh it's not really one of the verses we d- probably do a lot of study with, and, and nobody probably knew what it said before we, t- t- you see it, but it's very important. And Jesus is dealing with demons. Let's look at verse number 28. We'll start there. And when he was come to the other side into the country of the Gergesenes, there met him two possessed with devils, coming out of the tombs, exceeding fierce So that no man might pass by that way. So they evidently had what we might call superhuman strength. They were totally possessed by the devil. And behold, they cried out. Now this this would be the devil using the voices of these people that he had possessed. Behold, they cried out saying, What have we to do with thee, Jesus and you can imagine they said it with utter contempt, absolute hatred, and rebellion. What have we to do with thee, Jesus, thou Son of God? Art thou come hither to torment us, what, before the time? You see, the devil knows about time. He knows that the lease he took from Adam, or that Adam actually gave to him, he knows that there's an ending point somewhere. There will be a change in the system. And so this demon, who evidently was kind of a lower-level type spirit, powerful though he was, uh, but yet he didn't understand everything, but he did know about this. He was wondering, you know, uh, would would you come to torment us before the time, he said. And so the reason we're exercising and, or need to exercise authority today as a believer and need to understand this subject is because until Adam's lease runs out, we are going to have to deal with the devil. And so I'm not trying to make you feel bad or put any downer upon you, but what that means is as long as you're here as a believer, you're going to be dealing with this situation it's only after we leave this world, this life, and we're, we're out of here, that is when it, that part of our uh, duties will be, will be over. And so I don't want you to just be thinking about the devil all the time, but I do want you not to ignore the realities of that kingdom. And certainly I don't want you to ignore your place of authority over the devil. You have been given Power of attorney. You know, that's, that's a powerful thing in our culture today. If someone's given power of attorney, that means they can act in your place. Amen. You know, if Derwood gives me power of attorney, I get to use his checkbook however I want to. That's why he hasn't given me power of attorney. But you understand. You understand how that works. I, I want to just encourage you, what confidence Jesus has in you. He turned his checkbook over to you. He, he's given you his name so that you go into a situation, you don't even have to identify yourself as, as, from the human standpoint. All you have to do in, go, is go into it identified with Jesus. That's, that's what's necessary. And the name of Jesus will break the power of any demonic force or stronghold. There's absolutely nothing that the devil has that can stand up to the name of Jesus. The, the main objective about this subject, I believe, it, that the devil has is to just simply keep people from knowing it. Because if you know it, he's got problems. <laughs> He's got big problems. So, Satan has a legal right to be here until the original lease runs out. And so, we need to deal with him until Jesus returns for us. That means that we absolutely need a revelation of who we are and a revelation of our authority, and we need to know how to deal with the various levels of demonic authority. ...that those evil spirits operate in. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians 6. Now, I'm, uh, today is kind of just an introduction. There's some of these passages that we will come back to... ...and we'll delve into much more in detail... ...to talk about different aspects of this. So don't miss any of the Sundays coming up. This, is, this will be some very, very informative stuff, I believe, for all of us. And if you already know all of this then aren't you glad we're in agreement? Amen. Verse 10, Ephesians 6. Very familiar scriptures. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord. Be strong in the Lord. Be enabled in the Lord. And in the power, the strength, the ability of His might. Put on the whole armor of God. Notice it's God's armor. We get to wear it. You know, it'd be like if you drove up here today, you know, in a really cool Bentley. A black Bentley with tan leather interior. Man, that'd be sharp. And you let me drive it. (laughs) You'd never see me again. (laughs) No. But that's, that's kind of what God did here. He said, I've got this really cool stuff here. I've got this armor that's impenetrable. Absolute protection. Works every time. And I'm going to let you wear it. That's what he did. The whole armor of God. That you may be able to stand against the wiles or the devices of the devil. The methods or the schemes of the devil. And you can be sure that he's a schemer. He does have methods. Uh. You know, this this is this is a serious thing. You know, it's not to be taken lightly. And and those people that just say, Well, I don't want to hear about that. I'm just trusting God. God's gonna work it all out, God's in control of everything. You really can't believe that and believe the Bible, can you? You really believe that every every little girl that was molested last night, that was the will of God? You believe every person that got out on the highway, stoned last night, killed somebody in some collision. You really believe that was the will of God? No, you don't believe that. Though we have some choices. And I would adjure you, in Jesus' name, don't choose to ignore spiritual truths because you need to know these facts. He says in verse 12, we wrestle not, or for we wrestle not, against flesh and blood. Look at your neighbor and say, you're not my enemy. Your mother-in-law is not your enemy. Your foreman, your supervisor, your boss is not your enemy. Your neighbor isn't your enemy. No, not really. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities that's kind of like the, the, these are the, that's the top tier. Princes over principalities, over geographic areas of the world or of a country. In the realm of the spirit, there, there's a hierarchy there. Against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness or wicked spirits in high places. So we have to understand that there are these various levels. Now, we don't have time to go into all these, but we're going to talk more about them in detail as we go along. But uh, there are different levels of demonic activity, and we've got to understand something about them and, and and, and realize who or what we're dealing with. Now, I've got a few statements to make and then we're going to close. So, guys, if you'll want to come on up, you're welcome. Jesus dealt on a number of occasions with manifestations of evil spirits. You can read that in the four Gospels. It, it isn't possible to read the four Gospels and act like that there, was, there were no demons, that there, were no, that there was no demonic activity, I mean, you just can't be honest intellectually and read your Bible and say that. Why is it today that in many Christian circles, this is almost never talked about? That no matter what happens, nobody ever says that there's a demon behind it, a devil behind it. Again, I'm not just trying to make you devil conscious, but, but I, I tell you, we've, as a church world, in a way, thrown out the baby with the bathwater here. There are things that are directly tied to spirits and until the spirit's dealt with, it's not going away and it won't get fixed. Jesus proved it to us. But what I want to point out to you about Jesus is that the account we read in Luke 4 today of Jesus overcoming the temptation is the, is the way that Jesus defeated the devil personally for himself in the wilderness. He was by himself. And so that defeat of the devil in the wilderness, of course, set him up for his ministry to come. It was was very important. And he was, as our substitute, he was dealing with temptation that we would deal with. All that's involved. But he defeated the devil on a personal level in the wilderness. He defeated the devil, we might say, for himself. And then we know that he defeated the devil at the cross... For us. For us. His victory on the cross was not what he needed. He already had it. His victory on the cross was what I needed because I didn't have it. And then here's the third thing that we, we want to, I want you to think about. We, as his body, are now authorized to enforce Satan's defeat. Today, now, in our lives personally and in the world in which we're living, by taking his place as his ambassador, as his representative in the earth, using his name and using his word in our mouths, we exercise the same authority that Jesus did. There is nothing that Jesus did about the devil when he was walking the earth in his ministry that you and I can't do today. Now, I understand I could not redeem myself. The work of the cross and all of that was exclusively Jesus' own work. But thank God he did that. But I can go back and look at his ministry. And when I see him dealing with a specific demon or devil or whatever, I can know I've got that same authority. I've got that same authorization. I want to close in 2 Corinthians 2.14. I don't know if I said I was closing with that passage I just read. If I did, forgive me. That's one of the great sins of preachers lying in the pulpit about when they're closing. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, but this is just too good to miss. 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 14. Now thanks be unto God, which always causes us to triumph. Hallelujah. Notice there is no exceptions. Always. When is always? Always. always. Now thanks be unto God, which always always causes us to triumph in Christ and maketh manifest the savor of his knowledge by us in what? Every place. So that means always and everywhere we win. Isn't that good to know? Always, everywhere we win. I don't know about you, but I like to win. That's why I don't play golf. Because I stink at it. But I like to win. If we sit down to play checkers, I'm out to beat you. And if you turn your head, I will do most anything to win. But, uh, <laughs> but this is all legal. Always and everywhere we win. Hallelujah. Say this with me. Say, always, always. And, everywhere and everywhere I win. Through Jesus, I am a winner, I am the head, not the tail, I am above, not beneath, I am victorious in every combat, I fight the good fight of faith, and I always win.